Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Thanks to Isaac and his team for leading us in worship. Tonight we continue in our series from the book of Obadiah. Now, I hope from last week you were able to cram or memorize where the book of Obadiah is so that you can help your friend next to you. If you haven't, I'll give you a head start now to start looking for it so that by the time we get there, you've landed. So remember, it's easier to start from Matthew paging backwards. If you see Amos, you there. If you see Obadiah, it's between, sorry, it's between Jonah and Amos. If you see Genesis, you're too far. If you see Mark, you're too far as well. So last week, we looked at who are the ones that God hates. Who are the enemies of God? And we concluded from the first few chapters of the book that the Lord hates the proud. The, pri- the prideful are those who are the enemies of God. God hates the proud and he will exalt the humble. So I am, many will know, I'm a grieving Manchester United fan. The glory days have surely departed. We have a caretaker manager at the moment, and in his recent interview, he said what our club needs is an open heart surgery. I couldn't agree more. What he is doing is he is exposing the flaws of the owners and their investment strategies. He is exposing the errors of our previous manager. He's exposing the flaws of finally, finally the flaws of the players who just aren't carrying their weight, and to be honest, have just been nonsense. The truth is, it's not a great sight for a supporter to see. What he's showing us is all the dirty politics that are in the game. He's showing us the egos of the players and, and, and some of the, the staff above. And in plain truth, he's showing us a lot of the uselessness that is in that team. Tonight, through the prophet Obadiah, God is going to show us, he's going to perform an open heart surgery. He's going to show us the insides of this proud nation, the nation of Edom. Remember from last week that they were flying high like eagles. They worked hard on their image. They wanted to look and sound like a mighty nation, a powerhouse able to take on any mighty foe. We established again last week that all of this was a charade. They were deceived by their own pride. They were not as high and mighty as they thought. In fact, they were a little nation with a little bit of strength which God would utterly destroy. We, we've probably heard of these phrases before, and if you know the phrase, won't you help me out? Don't kick a man while he's... And then the other one is, don't laugh at another man's fortune, but it's actually there in the vernacular. It's, in your daughter, I say, come on, guys. Um, oh, this one we all know. What goes up must come down. What goes around, you reap what you saw exactly. Now, all these phrases were true of the Edomites. 
They rejoice at the demise and the downfall of their brothers. They rejoice at the shaming of the nation Israel in their own pride and in their own arrogance. In addition to their pride and arrogance listed in verses 2 and 4, the Lord is now going to list with more specificity the sins that Edom committed against Israel. So if you are there, I hope you are, you're going to read in Obadiah chapter 1. Well, it's only one chapter. So chapter 1 and verse 1. But tonight we're only going to park at verse 14. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the cliffs of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves come to you, if plunderers come by night, how you have been destroyed, would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? (laughs) How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to the border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men of Edom and the understanding out of Mount Esau, and your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that... Every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Verse 10, this is where we are tonight. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. You shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat. Over the day of your brother, in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gates of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. God, tonight we, we come to your word, Lord, praying for wisdom, praying, Lord, for understanding, praying for guidance. God, we understand that if it wasn't for you saving us and for your spirit and dwelling us, Lord, these words would be foolishness to us. But we thank you that we can read them with understanding. We can glean the truths of God. And Lord, you are, evil, you are even able to help us to apply them in our lives. So God, if you reveal sins in us tonight, Lord, won't you soften our hearts to be swift to repent of these sins. Lord, help us tonight to, to really seek what is it that you want to communicate to us through your word. God, may I not be a distraction. 
Lord, whatever feelings maybe how, uh, um, had towards me, Lord, I, I pray that that wouldn't hinder, Lord, this, uh, this, this sermon tonight. I pray that I too would, would speak as one who's been sent by you. Won't you touch my lips, Lord, by your grace, that, Lord, I would speak only the truths of God. And, Lord, when error fills my heart tonight, I pray that you'd pre- prevent it from leaving my lips. And, God, I pray that this time would be a sweet time of worship where, God, you will receive the glory. So, God, as we go through this sermon, Lord, remind us of your goodness. Remind us of your justice. But, God, remind us as well of your truth and what it is that you seek from us. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the first thing I'd like us to to look at tonight is the forgotten sin of omission. The forgotten sin of omission. So, here's a definition to help us out. A sin of omission is a sin that is the result of not doing something God's word teaches that we should do. It is generally used in contrast with the corresponding phrase, the sin of commission, or sins that a person actively commits. You see, the Edomites, the Edomites were guilty of both the sins of commission and the sins of omission. In verse 10, we see that they acted violently against the nation Israel, and in verse 11, we see that they stood aloof. We often forget that sometimes doing nothing is a great sin. Consider Numbers 32 verse 23. It says, if you do not do so, what the Lord has commanded you to do, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord, O Israel, and be sure that your sin, which sin, not doing what God has commanded you, will find you out. James 4 verse 17 Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The Westminster Shorter Catechism tells us or defines sin in this way. Sin is any want of conformity to or transgression of the law of God. The truth is, oftentimes when we go to God confessing our sins before him, it is easier for us to remember the the flamboyant or the flagrant or the more scandalous or the celebrity sins. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't bring these before God. But my point tonight is that it is harder for us to see the many times we have known what is right to do and yet we have not done it. Another author wrote this. It is not enough simply to refrain from acts of evil. Rather, we must also do good whenever we see that good needs to be done. It is in our power, and it is in our power to do it. He goes on to say, those have a great deal to answer for who are idle spectators when they are capable of being active helpers. You see, the Edomites knew what the right thing to do was, and yet they did not do it. They saw their brothers in distress. They saw the nation Israel being tormented by foreign nations, and yet they stood aloof. What we see here is the prophet Obadiah is calling them out. Because we we notice it says there, in the day that strangers carried off Judah's wealth, and foreigners entered into, the, into his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. What did the Edomites do? They stood aloof. Not only that, they were like one of them. You see, my brother and I, we fought often. <laughs> but when I needed him, I knew that he would be there. 
We didn't have to first make up before he would help me because we were family. I knew he would jump at the opportunity to help me, and so would I. Why? Because mankind are naturally more affectionate towards a brother than a stranger. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So I therefore cannot imagine the feeling that fell on the heart of the nation Israel. When, when they were hoping for sympathy, they were hoping for grace from their brothers, the Edomites, but they were turned away. They went asking for bread, but they received a snake. I hope you've noticed the downfall just in these two sermons. Edom's downfall was progressive. Edom's sin started with doing nothing, then progressed to pride over Judah's distress, Soon, they took advantage of their brother Judah's misfortune and laid hands on their substance. We, could, we see this some more in the eight negative imperatives that God says to the prophet Obadiah, showing us the hideous insides of this proudful people. Notice the, 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 the eight. He starts in verse 12. He says, but do not, that's the negative imperative in case you were wondering, but do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Of their calamity. Do not gloat over his distress in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroad to cut, to cut off his fugitives and do not hand over his survivors in the day of his distress. The Edomites were literally licking their lips when they saw the distress and the calamity that sought the nation Israel. They gloated, they rejoiced, they boasted, they attacked, they looted, they handed over survivors to their pursuers. Do you get that? Their hearts were so hard that when they saw fugitives running back for help, they stood at the crossroads, sending them back to their captives. The survivors who, saw, who thought that they have finally found refuge, they finally found rest, they have seen a familiar face, cousins who, cousins to us, these cousins handed them back over to their pursuers so that they could be persecuted. This is what sin looks like. That's the belly of the beast. Church, the insides of a proudful heart would, would and should bring much shame to anyone who is proud. What started off as a distasteful indifference turned into a distasteful indulgence in sins of many kinds. In Paul's desire to protect the church, in his desire to protect the church from the tragic consequences of sin, he warns the Corinthian church that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It was because of the arrogant attitude of tolerating an appalling sin in the church, a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. They allowed a member, a member in the church, to live in, in habitual, unchecked, and blatant sin, which would have fatal impact in the church. To Paul's astonishment, and I think probably even disgust, he says, and you are arrogant? Ought you not rather mourn? 
See, church, doing nothing is not just standing aloof when your brother suffers from persecution. It is also standing aloof when you see that your brother is drowning in the depths of his sin, doing nothing when a member of the household of faith is returning back to his vomit, returning to the desires of his lustful passions, not just that. It is also when we stand aloof, seeing that a member of the church, the member of the bride of Christ, a member of the body of Christ is in need and refusing to assist them whilst we are able to. Do you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? It was the priest and the Levite, religious men, who looked on the wounded Samaritan and just passed him by. They looked with indifference. Their hearts were desensitized to to the plight of those who were in need, those who were in desperate need of relief from sorrow, distress, and calamities that they faced from day to day. Church, we too are easily desensitized. We are easily desensitized by the jargon of the world, desensitized by the lifestyle that the world promotes. The world constantly tells us, look out for yourself. Do whatever will get you to the top. Resist helping those who cannot benefit you in one way or another. We know these things, but subconsciously, that is how we act because we have been desensitized to the plight of the needs of many. The world teaches that selfishness must be celebrated, and selflessness is foolishness. I'll say that again. The world teaches that selfishness must be celebrated, whilst selflessness is foolishness. This was and is not the heart of Christ. We are called, sorry, we are commanded to love like Christ. We have been given the spiritual muscle to love those in the household of the faith. Just go and read 2 Peter. Those who have been sanctified, God has given us the ability to love them. Those you love and maybe you think that they are perfect, God has given us the ability to love them. Those who still struggle with sin like you and I, we have the ability to love them. Those who will offend you in fellowship, those who have personality quirks, those who are different from you, those who will never repay you. Church, God has commanded us to love them And to not do so is a sin. Hear the words of Christ. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you for even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount? Jesus goes on to say, but for you, love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, for your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Church, the call of Christ in our lives is countercultural. It requires that we have a clear understanding that as believers on the earth, we have a clear mandate. We have a mission, and that is to build the kingdom of Christ and not our own. It requires that we understand that we brought nothing into this world, and therefore we will take nothing out. 
It requires us to understand that I am part of the body of Christ, that when one member hurts, the whole body hurts, so I need to step up and help when I am needed and where I am able. But you might say, what about those outside the household of the faith? Am I only to love believers and ignore those who are not believers? That's not the application I want you to leave here with. God has also given you the spiritual muscle to love those who are outside of the faith. Again, go to 2 Peter chapter 1. But our love for them is missional. To give bread to the hungry is good. But it is far better to give the physical bread that gives strength for the day, coupled with the bread of life, which is able to satisfy the soul for all eternity. The challenge, though, is will you do something? Will you actually do something, or will you also be caught standing aloof? To close, consider again verse 9 and verse 10. He says, and, you, and your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Temen, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. God takes sin seriously. If you go today, you will not eat at any Edomite restaurant. You won't drink tea at an Edomite restaurant. Because the nation has been cut off for good by God. Church, they were defeated by the sword. The same calamity and distress that they laughed at the nation Israel, they reaped what they sowed that came upon them. But unlike the Israelites, they would not stand. Because there is therefore now sure condemnation for those who are outside of Christ Jesus. Likewise, God will chastise us. He will chastise us for habitually ignoring his commands. He will chastise us for standing aloof when we could be whoops, when we could be of assistance. Church God saw, he sees, God knows, and he's calling us to repentance. Will you repent tonight of your sins of omission? Won't you tonight search your heart and see, have you neglected God's clear commands as revealed for you in Scripture? Perhaps we ignored a neighbor who was in need. Maybe we do not offer words of encouragement at the right time. Perhaps we neglected to, to take a stand for the kingdom of God. The call for you tonight is to repent. Seek the Lord in prayer. Ask him to forgive you of that sin. As you ask him when you commit the celebrity sins. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So not only should you confess the sins of omission. But maybe you are also still struggling with pride. The call from last week is the same call tonight. God will himself bring you down if you do not repent. The call for you is to repent. Like a helium balloon flies high, 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 high. Eventually it's going to come down, 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 down. 
The call for you tonight is repent. So the first thing is God will judge sin. But the second one is he will encourage the, those in distress and those who face calamity. Can you imagine what it must have felt like for the nation Israel when they received the words of the prophet Obadiah? I mean, this was a prophecy given straight to, 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 to the nation of Edom. But when they heard these words, what great comfort must have filled the hearts of the Israelites. That whilst they suffered, they would be encouraged that God would vindicate them. Whilst the wicked taunted them and persecuted them, God reminded them that he is still seated on the throne. He is still the God who is the almighty God. He is still the God who is at work and he loves his sheep. And he will discipline all who hurt his sheep. Oh, what courage that, might, that must have been to the nation. But even as we were singing, I want to bring the words even at this point. The song, The Lord is My Salvation, says, The grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea. And I am safe on this solid ground for the Lord is my salvation. I will not fear when darkness falls. His strength will help me scale these walls. I'll see the dawn of the rising sun, for the Lord is my salvation. Who is like the Lord our God, strong to save, faithful in love. My debt is paid and the victory won, for the Lord is my salvation. You will see more of this encouragement next week when we consider the restoration of the nation Israel and the abolition of the, of the Edomites. Let's pray. Lord, we have every reason to be humbled for the pride of our hearts. For we have thought of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And have not thought with sober judgment. Nor have we walked humbly before our God. We have leaned on our own understanding. God, we have trusted in our own minds and have sacrificed to our own necks. God, we have sought our own glory more than the glory of him who sent us. And have been arrogant concerning that for which we should have mourned. But God, we thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your spirit who reveals the truth about God to us. The truth about our actual state of our hearts. That God, though we think we are high and mighty, but in actual truth we are low. For God, you will judge us for the sins in our hearts. But God, we are grateful. Thank you that there is forgiveness at the cross. That God, as we sit here, Lord, maybe we have fallen into sins of omission or sins of commission. We have just sinned against an almighty God. We can be assured that we can be forgiven for our sins because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. So God, help us tonight. Help us tonight to leave here seeking to walk by your spirit. Seeking good and shunning evil. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.